Are you feeling stuck? Are you searching for purpose and a more fulfilling life? Are you looking for inspiration and encouragement? Then this is the place for you. I'm Brooke Moore. I'm Gretchen Jackson. I'm Kelly Strother. I'm Tharwit Lovett. We are Shifter. In this podcast, we will address all things mindset. You will hear real stories from real women who have faced their fears, crushed their limiting beliefs, and have turned their mess into their message by shifting their mindsets and leveling up in business and life. The mission of Shifter is to empower women with tools to shift their minds to level up in business and life. We aim to support the big dreams of all women and want to celebrate their success. Today, we are sharing Erin Hanbaum's business, E. Lee's Boutiques. In 2011, after taking a leap of faith to quit her job in public relations, Erin Hanbaum created the E. Lee's brand. What started as an online and trunk show business quickly grew into a multi-state, multi-location chain of women's clothing boutiques. Now, 10 years later, E. Lee's is proud to be one of the largest boutique brands in Arkansas and Kentucky. While their size may have changed, their mission has not to make sure women feel better leaving their spaces than when they came in. At Ely's, their goal is to make sure you not only look great, but you feel great. Because when a woman feels her best, she becomes unstoppable. Want to connect with a woman-owned, woman-operated brand? Find Ely's on Instagram at Ely's Boutique, shop with them at any of their four locations, or shop online at www.shopelys.com. Use code SHIFTER at their online store for 20% off one full price purchase through May 10th, 2021. Now to our episode. Mindy Henderson is a motivational speaker, writer, health and accountability coach, host of the Truth About Things That Suck podcast, and guest contributor of Morning Motivational Tips on CBS Austin's We Are Austin Lifestyle Morning Show. Living life from a wheelchair, the challenges she has overcome cultivated the very skills in her that she needed to achieve almost every goal she's ever set for herself, to achieve great success, and now make her uniquely qualified to motivate others to see their potential. Her mission is to move and inspire people to realize when they take responsibility and own their adversity, they become better, stronger people, and their potential is revealed. Mindy helps people see how to live more productively and positively to roll with the punches, and to stop making excuses. Mindy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to chatting with you. Me too. I heard your story in a conference that we both spoke at, and I would love to just start with that and dive right in. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I wear a lot of different hats right now, and there is a a fairly specific path that has led to it. And so um, currently, I work as a motivational speaker, a writer, um, the host of another podcast called The Truth About Things That Suck. Um, I do coaching, a lot of different things. And at the heart of all of that, is really kind of the story of my disability. Um, that's really shaped, I think, a lot of who I am and where the roads have have led me to professionally. So um, I was diagnosed with this condition when I was only about 15 months old. Um, and you know, I it's around it was around the time when 
babies and infants start doing things like talking and walking and standing and all of that. And I did start to do all of those things. But as quickly as I started, my parents have said that it was like, I just kind of lost interest. You know how babies will go through phases where they just seem to lose interest in something. And I just couldn't be bothered anymore to walk around or or stand up and there were there were a few other things going on so my parents did take me to the pediatrician who said that I was fine he said that it was probably a phase that I was going through and they should just give me a little bit of time and space to work through it but you know my parents knew that there was something more going on and my dad was working in hospitals at the time and so he was able to get us plugged into a couple of different people and we embarked on what I like to call as sort of a, a medical scavenger hunt to try to figure out what was going on. And I was diagnosed ultimately at the Mayo Clinic by the head of neurology with a condition called spinal muscular atrophy. And along the way, I saw a lot of different doctors and my parents were told a lot of really really terrible things. They were told that I would in fact lose all of my ability to stand and walk, but they were also told that I would probably lose all of my cognitive function and that I probably would not live to be three. And so, you know, I, I, I like to tell this story for a couple of different reasons. You know, first and foremost, my parents were in their 20s when this happened. I wasn't a mom until I was probably close to 35, you know? And so I can't imagine being that young. They had one other daughter who was a little bit older than me and trying to wrap your head around what to do about that. You know, they asked all of the right questions. They asked about medications and treatments and cures and, and all of that. And there was a lot less known about this condition back then. Um, you know, this was 40 something years ago. Um, and the doctors told them that no, there was nothing that could be done. Um, in fact, they told them that they should probably really just leave me alone and not bother me with things like physical therapy and let me be happy with the time that I had left. And so, you know, my, my parents, were, you know, they, they made the decision between the two of them that if that was how the story was going to go, they wanted to know that they had done everything in their power to help me. And so fortunately for me, despite the doctor's advice, my dad, who had been a pretty serious football player, athlete in college, was, sprout, was uh, uh, scouted by the pros. Um, and he knew a lot about physical therapy and injuries and, um, and anatomy and physiology and all of those things. And he started to work with me. And little by little, I did start to get stronger and show some improvements. And really quickly, two out of three of the predictions the doctors had made were proven to be untrue. And so, you know, like I said, I was little and this isn't something that I really have cognitive memories of, but it's a story that I've always known. It's just, I can't remember there ever being a time when I didn't know this story. And in that process, my parents really became my first examples of hope and having hope in the face of what the 
absolute experts in their field were telling them was a hopeless situation and they rallied anyway, you know? And so that's the other reason why I really like to tell this story is, um, you know, just that I feel like no matter what you're going through and you know, that's not how every story ends. Some people do get the, the sad ending, but I still think that there can always be hope. And, you know, my, my own personal definition of hope is just the belief that something can be better, something can change, you can get through something. And so, you know, the, the very definition I think of hope tells us that we should always cling to that and, and that there's always hope to be had. I agree. What, I love that story. I'm so glad to have it on the Shifter podcast because as you're telling it, I'm thinking about the mamas that might be listening or, yeah. you know, that just need a little hope. And what if your parents had just not acted on their intuition? Like they knew there was something bigger there for you, or at least if there was, they weren't going to let you miss it. And so I, yes. I love that. It's such a good story, Mindy. Thank you. And kudos to you for sharing it. Like, I feel like so many people have stories and they just don't share them. And you can reach people in a way with your story that nobody else can reach. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And, you know, I, I have very strong feelings on that. It's, you know, as a public speaker and as someone who I've, I've actually been giving speeches since I was like four years old. I was the, the Texas State poster child for the Muscular Dystrophy Association and um, gave my first speech when I was four. And I talked to a lot of, you know, other families of the Muscular Dystrophy Association and their, their staff and volunteers and corporate executives and, and all of those things. And I learned really early on the power of sharing your story and I learned what it does for the world I learned I've learned what it does for the person who may be going through a similar struggle you know all of those things and it's one of the reasons why I you know kept pursuing this life of public speaking it's one of the reasons why I started my own podcast because there's so much in the world you know adversity is really a certainty we've all got hard stories to tell and we've all been through hard things. And oftentimes there are things like shame tied to our stories and embarrassment or, you know, not wanting to be different or you know, whatever the case may be. And I think that telling your story and by having people come on my podcast and tell their stories, I think that it makes the world a much less lonely place. Um, because when you're walking through something hard, it can feel very, very lonely and you can be really isolated. And I think it helps to hear that there are other people going through potentially the same things that you went through, but even if it's not the same thing, there are other people out there going through hard things and they're okay. You know, they come through it on the other side. And in a lot of cases, they go on to make the world a better place because of what they've been through. Yeah, I'm sure that you had this happen to you because I feel like once you start sharing your story, the right people are kind of attracted to you or in the room all the time. We always say the right people are in the right room at the right time all the time. Um, Absolutely. I was sharing about being a teen mom at an event and I was fairly new to sharing my story. I had been you know, someone had said, I feel like you should share this. And I thought, okay, well, here's a small room of people. I'll do that. And my son 
was actually there. He's a videographer and he was videoing. So I went up to him and I said, I'm going to tell this story. Is that okay? So I, you know, I don't care, whatever. Um, <laughs> but I did. And someone walked up to me afterward with tears in her eyes and was like, I have that story too. And I was blown away. Like you just don't know what's going on in the room. You don't know yeah. who is there for what reason. And people's fear of being vulnerable is so great because of shame and guilt and all of those things. And it's the truth. Someone needs to hear your story. So I appreciate, and I love that your podcast focuses on those things that suck and how you yeah. have risen from that. Yes. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, and yeah, everything that you, you said, my goosebumps have goosebumps, <laughs> but I feel the same way. I feel like there's something, you know, without getting too woo woo, you know, I feel like there's something sort of divine that happens that, that puts people in our path that, that need to hear, you know, maybe some of the things that we have to say. And I've seen it happen, you know, not just with me, I've, I've witnessed it in lots of other circumstances where I've seen other women, you know, share their stories in other forums and the absolute perfect person was there who either needed to hear it or, you know, could help or what, you know, it was, it's, it's kind of amazing it the is. way that things come together that way. I'm here for all the woo woo because I do believe, <laughs> <laughs> I do believe you're constantly attracting energy based on your energy. And if you're feeling all that shame and guilt, you're, pulling in kind of more of what you're already feeling. And so if you can release and you can feel good about it. And yeah. I shared before that my limiting belief that I uncovered was that I didn't think I deserved anything because I had gone through these things in my past. But once I blew through that stuff, just started flying at me opportunities and things I had never even dreamed up. So yeah. I'm here for the woo-woo. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. <laughs> um, you know, we're all about mindset shifts. And I know that one of the biggest pivotal shifts that you had had to do with um, the two things in your life that give you the most independence all crashing down at once. Tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah. So there was, you know, I... I I've always been interested in personal development, but I can remember there's, there's sort of a pivotal moment um, in my past when I, I made the, the decision to get really intentional about how I looked at things and how I responded to things that were going badly. And you're, you're absolutely right. Um, years ago, um, gosh, it was probably... 10 years ago. Um, there are two things. It's, I tell people all the time that whoever created me had a really good sense of humor because <laughs> I was created with these physical limitations and yet I've got this fiercely independent spirit. And so I've lived my whole life according to that independent spirit. And I always wanted to be in charge and I always wanted to do my thing. And I had a vision for my life and I knew exactly how it was going to go. And it wasn't until I started trying to do some of those things that it finally occurred to me that, oh, wait, this might actually be a little harder than um, than somebody else like driving. And that's one of the things that I think that you're alluding to. So I drive a car that looks like NASA built it. It's all, you know, it's all hand controls and touch screens and buttons and 
and things. It takes about a year to build one of these cars and about $130,000. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a crazy, super high tech, very customized car. I did not shell out $130,000 for this car. Um, there, there is state assistance and that sort of thing for people who want to pursue it. Um, and it is not a Lamborghini either. <laughs> it is no. a soccer car. It's a minivan. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I digress. It's so my, my car is one of those things in life that gives me so much of my independence and makes it so that I am not reliant on somebody to go get my nails done or go to the grocery store or, you know, go to work. You know, the, the 20 years that I spent in corporate America going to a nine to five job, um, you know, taking care of my daughter and taking her to and from doctor's appointments and and all of those things. So the ability to drive gave me a ton of my independence. The other thing is I have um, a couple of personal care assistants that come in and out of my home and do all of the personal care for me. You know, things like cooking and um, feeding my dogs and helping me get in and out of bed and change my clothes and, you know, all of the things that I'm sure you do every day of your life. Um, and so having them come into my home and help me with those things and then having the ability to drive allows me to live a pretty normal life and a pretty independent life. Well, about 10 years ago, my car started to have trouble. And because it's such a specialized car, you can't take it to just any mechanic. I live in Austin, Texas. It had to go to Houston to get worked on. And whatever the problem was, was really, really complicated. And they needed the car. It took them months working with this car. And while my car was in Houston, um, both of, I had two personal care assistants that were working with me at the time both had extenuating circumstances and gave their notice effective immediately on the same day. And so in the blink of an eye, all of my independence was gone. My ability to shower, my ability to get to the restaurant, you know, all of the things I'm getting really personal, but it was all gone, you know, and it was a really rough time. You know, I, my employer at the time, I was still working a corporate job and they were understanding, but you always kind of wonder in the yeah. back of your mind, what are they really thinking, mm-hmm. you know? And they were, they were letting me work from home and all of that, but you know, it weighed on me and you know, had I lost my job over it, then, you know, my financial stability and, and all of that would have been gone too. So everything was just kind of teeter tottering on the edge and Um, and yeah, it was, I was depressed. I was, it was really a hard time. And I remember a conversation that I had with my mom where it had been, you know, going on months of, of this stuff. And I was doing a lot of complaining and a lot of woe is me. And I, I finally in this conversation with my mom, I heard myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Whatever, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're just spouting stuff, but you're not really hearing what you're saying. And I finally heard myself and I said to my mom, you know what? I said, I, I, I need some new thoughts. Mm-hmm. And when I said that to her, um, 
it, it kind of woke me up a little bit and I really didn't like who I was showing up as mm -hmm. in that time of struggle. And I think that on top of going through something really, really hard, um, if you're not showing up as your best self either, that just exacerbates the problem. Mm -hmm. And it really robs you of any joy and positivity that's left to be had. And so I decided, you know, in that moment that I, that I really needed to take control of what was going on here. And I, I started to be a lot more intentional about listening to those thoughts in my head and not letting anything come out of my mouth that wasn't a good representation of who I wanted to be you know and i and and it was it was it was hard at first it's a muscle that you have to build and it's the muscle that i've worked on for the last like 10 years you know but you know it's it's possible to kind of rewire yourself if you if you can take a step back and listen to your thoughts and listen to the words that you're actually saying and replace them with more positive ones um it was that's something that's been really powerful in my life that um, my, my husband laughs at me because I've gotten in the habit of I'll think something or I'll just say it, even if I'm just speaking to myself, you know, in the kitchen or whatever. And then I'll say, wait, Gretchen, that is not helpful. Yes. <laughs> like I have to call myself out on it. Uh -huh. I love that. That's that's funny. I, I don't know that I do it out loud, um, but maybe I should. I'm going to try it next time. And just well, you probably are, but nobody's heard you yet because I didn't realize I was doing it out loud either. <laughs> That's very true. Or my husband just thinks I'm crazy and right. is afraid to call it to my attention. So. Oh gosh. Well, when you're talking about showing up as your best self, do you have like some tips for someone who's listening? Like we know, cause we're in the personal development world, like pretty deep. Um, what that means. Like every day I want to get up and do all the things that make me feel good. And I want to make sure that I'm taking care of myself and gratitude practice and that kind of thing. What do you do just to make sure that you can do this every day to show up as your best self? Yeah, it's a good question. So I mean, there are so many different angles that you can look at that from, um, you know, because there's emotional, there's physical, there's spiritual, you know, there are all of the relational, um, social, all, you know, so many different, facets and pieces of our life and what, you know, sort of collectively makes us human and, um, and, and gives us our life experiences. And so, you know, for me, I, it's about, um, you know, practices in my life, like what we just talked about with, you know, being sort of aware of negative thoughts and listening to the loops in your head and trying to be intentional about replacing those with more helpful more constructive, positive things. Um, I'm also big on gratitude practices. And if you are, if you follow the self-development world at all, a lot of people talk about gratitude practices. So it's nothing, um, it's nothing new, but it's something that I believe in with so much bigger. Um, and I, yeah, are you, do you follow Sean Aker? Yes, I do. 
Yeah, I talk about him all the time because I love that he's put science to it. You know, he's a happiness researcher and he's shown um, that you can move the needle in your thinking by committing to a gratitude practice for 30 days. Um, and, you know, moving from maybe being a, low, uh, a high level uh, pessimist to a low level optimist in the span of 30 days just by doing a consistent gratitude practice. So I'm big on gratitude practices. And so both of those things that I'm talking about, I think just are, are, are good for putting you into the right frame of mind to approach every day with, because we get up in the morning, we have no idea what's gonna, what's gonna come at us that day. It could be a great day, it could be an awful day, but if you do things regularly to sort of prep yourself mentally for what's to come, um, I think you're, you're going to show up a lot better for it. Um, I do try to take care of my physical health. Um, I've been on a bit of a health journey, a physical health journey this past year um, and have lost a bunch of, of weight. And, um, and I feel so much better and so much more energetic and, um, so, you know, I, I think that that's important. I think that paying attention to our nutrition and, um, and movement as much as possible, you know, for me, that is, um, a bit more of a struggle to get in, you know, things like exercise and, and all of that. So in lieu of exercise, um, I actually meditate as a way of combating stress and anxiety and all of those toxic things that can build up in our lives. Um, so yeah, I, there's, there's a lot of things that I, I think I could recommend to somebody, uh, but those are, are some of the ones that I would start with. Those are great tips. Do you find that when you start working on one part of your life or yourself or whatever, like if it's just your thoughts, start with your thoughts or gratitude that then other little things start falling into place a little oh, bit easier. Yeah. yeah. I think it's all so intertwined. Mm -hmm. Like just, it's so funny as you were starting to say that I was thinking to myself, you know, like if you pay attention to the physical, if you fuel your body with food that nourishes it and, and is good for it and you move your body and you do exercise or you meditate or whatever. Um, you know, if you feel good physically, you can't help. I don't think, but you know, feel a bit better emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, I think it all um, plays on each other and, uh, you know, one, one thing affects another affects another. So. Yes, I agree so much. Um, yeah. I, I do know that um, for me, like I exercise pretty hard. I, we've started CrossFit this year and nice. what I found out from not doing that type of exercise to doing this type of exercise is I do it first thing in the morning. I'm one of those people that are up at 4.30 a.m. I understand it's a crazy thing, but listen, I will not go do it. I know myself well enough to know that I will either find a reason or there will be a reason that comes up during the day. And so I go first thing in the morning, but I, my day is, I suffer from anxiety, but my day is so much, I have such less anxiety as the day goes on. That doesn't mean that something doesn't yeah. catch me off guard, but I've already worked out so much stress in advance, kind of like meditating. Yeah. Like you've already gotten through so much release before you even start your day. And so for me, that's been a huge, I'm like, I could have been doing this my whole life, but I didn't want to get up early. 
Yeah, totally. And, you know, journaling is another one yeah. that I recommend to people a lot, even if, you know, there are different ways that you can journal. But I think a lot of times if you just journal and let your hand keep going and write down every single thought that comes to your brain, that's a really good tool, I think, for clearing a lot of the clutter um, that can sort of wrap you around the axle throughout the course of your day. If you just spend five minutes writing until everything is out, you know, I've had that before I go to bed before. Yeah. Yeah. That or that. Yeah. Either way. Um, and, and yeah, it's, you know, that allows you, I think, to be a lot more, um, constructive or, or productive during the day. If you do it in the morning, if you do it at night, it helps you sleep better. Yeah. If you're more well-rested, you're going to be more productive. You're going to be more clear-headed. You know, it, it all works together, all of the systems for sure. One of the other things that I heard you say when you were speaking at that conference was um, you have to be accountable to your adversity. Yeah. And I thought that was really powerful. Tell us what you mean by that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it honestly, it boils down to how you respond to adversity, because if you really, really, really boil it down, there are two ways that, that challenges show up in our lives. The first way is, you know, sometimes we do contribute to some of the bad things that happen in our lives, you know, and, um, and it's easy to look at those things and say, well, sure, you haven't taken care of yourself. You caused this problem, you know, go, you know, pay more attention to your nutrition, go exercise, you know, whatever, or you say something emotional to your boss and get yourself in trouble at work. You know, all of those kinds of things are really easy to look at and say, well, yeah, be accountable, be responsible, go, go make it better. But there are also things, and my disability is a perfect example of it, there are things that just happen. You know, there's no explanation, nobody caused it, nobody asked for it. But I think that regardless of which way a challenge comes into our lives, we can own it, we can be accountable for that adversity. And even if we didn't cause it, we can take responsibility for how we respond to it. And that is, is powerful, I think, just in that it puts you back in the driver's seat. Because sometimes these things swoop in and knock our world off of its axle, and we feel so out of control, and we don't know what to do. And if you just take a minute to feel what you're feeling, you know, let the emotions happen and let all of that ride, but then weigh your options. And, you know, no matter how hard a problem may be or how rare or whatever, there's, there are options for ways to respond. You can respond with humor. You can respond with, you know, taking action in some form or, or another. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really, really big on accountability and owning your response because it goes back to what we were talking about in terms of, you know, knowing who you want to show up as in hard times. And I've got plenty of excuses in my, or of, of examples in my past of times when something bad has happened and I'm not proud of who I showed up as to get through that problem. Um, but I think that if you, again, are intentional about knowing your values, knowing who you are, knowing who you want to be, um, 
I think that it can be a lot easier to then show up as that person um, if you make the choice to when something goes wrong. Yeah, in fact, I do, I do an exercise with people sometimes when I do workshops where I'll have people write down um, like three really challenging things that they've been through in their past. And then I have them write down what skills or qualities they, looking back, needed to employ to get through those things. Did you have to be patient? Did you have to um, be creative? Did you have to be a problem solver? Did you have to network? You know, what were the things that got you through um, those challenges? And then I have them write a list of two or three people that they've watched go through something hard. And he, those are, and, and I asked them to choose people who they admired the way that they went through their challenge. And I have them do the same thing, write down the skills or characteristics. They think that those individuals probably had to employ to get through those challenges the way that they did. And then they've got two lists. They have a list of who they already are because they've employed those skills in the past. They've got it in them. And then they've got a list of who they want to be. They may or may not already um, have some of those skills and characteristics, but it's, it's a list of, like I said, who you are and who you want to be. And once you know those two things, I, th I think you can tackle anything. That's a fabulous exercise. Thank you. That little free nugget of wisdom. You're so welcome. That's a great exercise. To it's really hard when you're in something, but then like as you're saying that, I'm thinking of things that we've gone through, just yeah. in the house, raising kids, like taxes, yeah. whatever it is. And yeah. number one, we survived, even though you don't yeah. think you will. But number right. two, like we pulled skills that we didn't even believe we had. Yeah. Which means we can do that again. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, and, and I think that that's the thing is that adversity is a certainty in life. Things mm -hmm. go wrong. They just, they just do. Um, and none of us are exempt. All of our challenges look different, but I think that at some point or another, we can count on something going wrong. And I don't say that to be the, the voice of doom, but I say it so that we can be prepared. And I think so much of this work you can do preemptively to, to set you up, to show up as again, the best version of yourself once things are in crisis. Mm -hmm. I think what, going back to what you said in the beginning, like awareness is the first step and it's yeah. really important. And so just noticing when you're having the thoughts or not believing in yourself or whatever that is, if you can just take the first step to start noticing, you'll be yes. on the way. So good. absolutely. hundred percent. Okay. I have one more question for you. Yeah. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell your younger childhood self? I love this question. I actually, um, I think I told you, I just got to give a speech um, last week, as a matter of fact, to a bunch of high schoolers. Mm -hmm. It was a bunch of um, special needs high schoolers that are getting ready to graduate high school and go on to college or jobs or whatever they're going to do. And I, I don't, I, in the past, I haven't given a lot of talks to kids. And so it was all new content that I was writing. And I was, you know, I, I was like, gosh, you know, how do I want to approach this? And I finally, I was like, well, 
what would I have wanted someone to come in and tell me when I was 18 years old? And so I did, I came at it from that standpoint. So the first thing that I told them is that you do not have to have it all figured out right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't care actually if you're 18 years old or if you're 88 years old. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that at any point in our lives we have to have it all figured out. Um, Cause number one, that kind of takes the fun out of it. Mm-hmm. If you have it all figured out. Um, but we put so much pressure on ourselves and on our kids, you know, to go into college and have this grand plan for themselves when, you know, they've lived like, you know, one, not even maybe a 10th of their life, right. you know, a, a fifth, 15th of their life. So that was the first thing that I told them. The second thing I told them was to try new things and to sit with people who don't look like them. Mm. Um, so, you know, try classes that you never would have. I took a class in college called, um, we had to take a, um, uh, was it a sociology class or a, it was something in that vein. And so I took a class on magic rituals and religion. <laughs> And awesome. oh my gosh, it was fascinating. Mm-hmm. I had a professor, his name was Mr. Garber. I will never forget him. He had the best stories of being off in, you know, faraway lands with shaman and, you know, different tribes from around the world. And he was, it was amazing. So I told them to try new things, even raw oysters that look disgusting. <laughs> um, and I can confirm that they are disgusting, but I tried them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I told them to try new things. I also told them that it was okay to be afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, there's, a, there's a big difference between fear and bravery. Um, and I told them, just don't let the fear stop you. Everyone is afraid. Every single person on this planet is afraid of something and has been afraid of, of something at some point in their lives. Just don't let it stop you. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one that I told them was that there was nothing wrong with them, that they are worthy of wanting things and of having dreams and goals for themselves and that their dreams and goals didn't have to look like anybody else's. They were theirs to own. So that was some of, some of the advice that I gave. Um, really good. Thank you. It's really good. I speak to high schoolers sometimes. Um, we own a sound and security business. And so I talk a lot about going into trades. If you're not on track for college or if you like to do hair, go, yeah. you know, who knows? You might own your own hair school or salon one day, like all yeah. of those things. And kids are so relieved to hear from adults or yeah. acting like adults. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just that say, I've been through this thing and I wish I hadn't spent so much time worried about this thing or. Yeah. And I, I've watched my daughter who's in, she's about to finish her second year of college and you know, her, her junior year of high school, even Mm -hmm. she was putting so much pressure on herself to know what she wanted to do for the rest of her life. And you know, at 16, 18 years old, I just don't think that's, that's reasonable. Some people do. Mm-hmm. Some people are very clear on what they want to do for, from a very early age. And if you have that gift, that's amazing. But I sure didn't know what I wanted to do when I was 18 um, and am not doing today anything 
close to what I thought I would be doing. So, um, so yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think we forget maybe what it's like to be that age and how much pressure you put on yourselves because you're trying so hard to be grown up and assert your independence, but there's so much that you don't know. And you either don't know what you don't know, or you don't want to admit what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it's, it, like you said, I think it can be a relief to let them know that there is time to figure it out. Yes. So much time. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing space with me. It has been a joy. I was so excited to get to hear your story again and share it with our Shifter audience. You're so sweet. Thank you so much for having me. I always love talking to you. You're a joy. So check out Mindy's podcast, The Truth About Things That Suck, and then we will share all the places to follow and connect with Mindy in our show notes. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Shift Her Podcast. We are here to share stories that inspire so that you can create the life you love now. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review, share on social media, and tell us why it resonated with you. You can follow us on Facebook at Shift Her, Instagram at shifther.co, and read more about us at www.shifther.co. While you're there, sign up for our High Vibe monthly newsletter, where we share even more inspiration and stories from our Mastermind program. Links from today's episode are in the show notes.